0: Hi, this is Abhin from the recording table. So why I'm talking to you is because this podcast was originally intended to be one episode, but because there was so much content when we recorded it, we ended up with a three hour plus uh, file just as it was. And it made no sense to chop it down to an hour and 15, 20 minutes because there's just so much nice content in here and such an interesting podcast. We had our first guest and he brought his own views and his own opinions. So... In the interest of preserving the content, we've split this episode into two parts. This is part one, where we discuss about three to four of our opinions, and part two comes out next week, where we conclude with our last three to four opinions. That's pretty much it. I just thought I'd give you a heads up if you wonder what the fuss is all about and why this episode ends slightly abruptly. But yeah, do enjoy the episode. Let us know what you think. you want to hear my voice again. Take care. Welcome to episode 12 of 2, please. I'm your host, Abhin.
1: And I'm your co-host, Rohit. So we realized that things have been too genial between me and Abhin for the last few episodes. We seem to be agreeing on everything. Uh, It's time to switch that up and get a little friction going in here. And to do that, uh, we've also got a guest with us today. Abhin, you want to do the honors?
0: Yeah, okay. So today on the podcast, for the very first time... Uh, the two police spot has a guest on it. Also happens to be a very old friend. Uh, please give a round of applause to Siddharth, who is his first time on the show. Yay! Yay! You're also our first. Uh, <laughs> you're also our first ever guest. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yes, I go down
2: the street. I feel like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. I'm not sure to what extent you know. and the. This is gonna help with the. The problem of everyone being in agreement, because because me and Abhin shared a lot of movies back in the day. So we, I, and from what I, l- I listen to you guys, and I think Abhin still pretty much holds a lot of the same opinions, and I used to hold a lot of the same opinions as well. So I don't know. Apparently, I'm good at uh, introducing friction between people, but we'll see. <laughs> you know, I think I have an unpleasant reputation for that.
0: Let's just let's just see. <clears throat> oh man, this is going to be an interesting episode. So as Rohit mentioned on this episode. We all like a lot of films, a lot of uh, pop culture media, but just gen- there are a few things that stand out to a certain set of individuals that just don't seem to go down well, even though it is widely accepted uh, gen- by the general populace. On this episode, we're going to pick three different topics or media, and uh, we're going to have a bit of a debate slash, slash a general discussion on it. And yeah, at the end of this episode, we'd love to know your opinions on where you stand. Do you stand with us? Do you stand with one of us? Do you stand against us completely? That's the whole point of this episode. The point is to have a healthy, sometimes infuriating debate with (laughs) the other person on the spot. So uh, that being said, let's get on with the show. Just to set the mood before
1: we do that. Fuck you, I win. Fuck you, (laughs) Sid. I am
0: big. It's the pictures that got small. Okay, uh, I guess there's only one place to start. Um, How hot can we go? Rohit, the floor is yours. Let's do it.
1: Okay, I go first. Fine. Mm. So my first hot take or contentious opinion is that Rick and Morty is way overrated, especially on the whole philosophical aspect of it, which everyone seems to be raving about. I think Rick and Morty obviously comes from very popular pedigree, right? Dan Harmon might be individually problematic but community obviously is very loved and i'm sure his uh, association with rick and morty would have uh, helped a big deal in generating interest towards the project uh, at the start and coming to the content of the show the episodes are quite fast-paced and the scope of the narrative is uh, i have to admit is very vast and it goes places it's quite zany but then again, that could also be sort of Dexter's laboratory, right? I mean, you don't have to go to Rick and Morty to get that sort of, get that fix. Mm-hmm. To their credit, the, the characters in Rick and Morty are also quite fleshed out. And they have their uh, motivations and their backstories and all of that. The humor, at least in my opinion, is above par at best, slightly above par. I don't really remember laughing out loud or having, you know, a belly laugh even once. I I think I've watched three. I, I, I think I watched three seasons. Uh, I didn't w- bother to watch the fourth one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, I think in my opinion, Rick is one of the most annoying characters ever put on screen. The whole burping gimmick that he does, his mm-hmm. voice, the cadence and with which he speaks, and even his character's selfishness, cockiness, is, he's just thoroughly unpleasant to even watch for a second. Mm-hmm. And uh, like utterly insufferable. Utterly insufferable. But coming to the, the crux of the point uh, of my contention being... Uh, all reviews, or, you know, even when somebody talks uh, to you about Rick and Morty, or even recommends it to you, they're like, uh, man, you really need to watch this show, it's very deep, it's very philosophical. I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, they're, they're trying to talk about nihilism and find Rick is supposed to be this guy who, because he's seen that there's nothing, has become cynical. That's not really depth, right? I mean, fine. That, that You can make those broad strokes uh, even otherwise, you don't that doesn't qualify uh, your show as something deeply philosophical. In my opinion, honestly, it's a show with the depth of a puddle and it's got a guy who is inordinately happy to be a pickle. Like mm-hmm. how, how is that a prestige show in any way? Uh, in my opinion, honestly, Bojack Horseman is the show Rick and Morty wishes it were. And, uh, I personally don't like the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would go so far as to say it's not, I'm not even uh, neutral about it. I, I actively dislike the show. That, that's my opinion.
0: What okay. do you guys think? I mean, I agree. Rick and Morty is not what it's made out to be. Yes, there are parts of it where it pretends... I mean, it attempts to be extremely philosophical. And when it's when it's being... When it kind of hits those levels, I feel the show kind of tends to sag a little. And while comparing it to Bojack, I feel th- that isn't really the right comparison because there are two distinctly uh, different shows and uh, so if i were to put it let's say let's it doesn't take itself too seriously until there are times it does and those moments are kind of well earned so i was much like you i didn't really give two hoots about rick and morty when i first started it uh and then i think somewhere around season 1 episode 7 where this where he creates a love potion for rick which ultimately ends up spoiler alert uh destroying the entire world and they have to force show up in and and they move to another dimension to uh, take places to take the place of two of another Rick and another Modi, just so that they can continue living their lives. That really got to me as to just like oh shit, uh, that was that was a kind of a gut punch that I didn't expect. BoJack, on the other hand, is more of a is a show I can't binge ever. I take my time with. I've only seen what three seasons so far, and just because it is so emotionally draining. At the first season was fine. Yes yeah the second and the third uh, especially with the arc uh, with his um with his tv daughter it just i remember just turning the show off and being like you know what i i, I can't this is not uh, going this is not doing well for me and i kind of need to take a bit of a break away from this individually they have its merits i think Rick and Morty is more pop culture focused. There's a lot of, there's a, there are a lot of clever jokes written in there. I think season four, which you haven't seen, um, there is an episode in there about heist movies, which has ruined heist movies. I, I can never watch <laughs> another heist movie ever because it's just, it, I, I'm saying anymore would probably be a disservice to the episode because it is so, so well done. And that I think at points for the show there is there there are some, there's some really clever writing that comes to its aid. Even the pickle Rick, okay, fine, he does it all, so he doesn't have to end it's up going. That's fucking annoying, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but pickle Rick starts off with him being a pickle and then ends up in a him in a government facility mowing down people. So it's just that it's it's the trajectory, it's the weird batshit craziness of the. Uh, Of those characters, that's kind of what keeps the show going. I don't think broken and as nihilistic as those individuals are, that's not what people keep coming back for. As opposed to BoJack, it's like watching a train wreck, uh, it's watching a a train uh, crash in slow motion, and it just keeps happening. And and you start to see it over like 12, 8 to 12 episodes, which is the scary part. It's like you you can see it happening, but you don't want to avert your eyes. So I feel they're two very different Mm -hmm. shows, and comparing them would not be... um, I know, w- wouldn't be exactly the right thing to do.
1: No, I mean, subject matter-wise, obviously, two very different... And even the <coughs> treatments to the way they handle the issues they do are very different, no doubt. Mm. Because mm. I, I just compared them because they're contemporary and... Okay, this is a personal grouse of mine. I always felt Bojack didn't get the sort of attention or coverage that Rick did, that Rick and Morty did. sort of... Occupy or they compete for each other in that
2: in the the space for pop psychology in a sense, right? Like, yeah,
1: yeah. I
2: mean, I mean, you have the same kind of people who are going to be watching both shows, and it feels like Rick and Morty sort of displaced BoJack um, in the in that headspace that you know is limited. Um, If if I had a problem with Rick and Morty, it would be maybe that it doesn't live up. It isn't as smart as it thinks it is, which is a kind of. own category of problem that I have with a lot of things, uh, but in absolute terms, I mean, I don't think it's uh, you know something unwatchable or or even something that doesn't have any merits. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, like uh, in my, I I think I binge watched the first three seasons pretty much back to back, and uh, and then I never went back to it again. And while I was watching it, I kind of had fun with it. But is it something that has uh, you know uh, the thing is it deals with philosophy I think and that creates an impression that it is philosophical um, mm. I don't know mm. if that question you know it's a legitimate uh, criticism that, or a legitimate assumption that the makers possibly wanted to portray themselves as philosophical but I don't know if you don't if you give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they're just having fun throwing some philosophical references here and there or quoting Nietzsche here or talking about nihilism or whatever they want to do, and it's not really meant to amount to anything as such if If you give them that benefit of the doubt, there's not a lot of uh, a, a lot of hate that I can give it when when people tell me that "Oh, I love the kiten," you know if they're not going to start talking about how it's one of the smartest shows they've seen or anything of that sort, then I'm okay with it. I'm like, yeah, it's not like GOT, like GOT gets on my nerves and people say, I like GOT. I'm like, you know, you right. here, right now. Let's talk about this. Hmm. Rick and Morty. I, I, I'm like, okay, I, I guess because the thing with Rick and Morty is also, I think people sort of admire the references the, the way I've heard people talk about it. Everyone I know who likes it, it's like they admire the references none of them actually believe that those references add up to anything. The people mm-hmm. that I know who mm-hmm. like it aren't people who have actually read philosophy, you know, or have a very deep understanding of it, but they enjoy some of the themes that are brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally enjoyed a few of the episodes. There's a particular episode where the, their memories, where Mr. Poopy Pants shows up, right? Mm-hmm. And their yeah. memories are all around the place and they're not sure which memories... Are... I thought, if you look at something like that, uh, if you look at the... The very deconstructionist ideas that are there about uh, uh, about the the random TV shows, ants in my eyes, Johnson, or that whole very improv series of intercosmic TV individually yeah. as two minute, one and a half minute segments. I'm, I'm like they have they have merit. They're fine, you know. I would rather watch that than watch um, a lot of other stuff. But I don't think it's all that. I agree with you on that. That I don't think it's the greatest thing. Bojack, I've seen. Uh, a few episodes of, and I will definitely on the face of it, agree with you that Bulljack is hitting, uh, you know, much, much more genuine notes. It's, it's going for something much more sober, much more rooted in reality, in the psychology of people mm. and narcissism. Um, and from what I've heard, from what I know, it, it manages to deal with that uh, pretty well,
1: but uh, consistently you know, so well for the the duration of the show.
2: Yeah, I guess. But, uh, I mean, to me, it seemed like Bojack is definitely a much more mature show and trying to be a much more mature show. So, yeah. I, I still don't know if Rick and Morty really is, you know, it's for me, Rick and Morty is kind of like, uh, you know how kids sometimes, small kids tend to poop and then get extremely excited about the fact that they pooped <laughs> and then come and show it to you. And now if that kid was also... Uh, uh, some kind of a prodigy and he poops out and then he makes equations <laughs> of it and then he shows it to you it's, it's kind of a little bit like that but it sort of revels in that I mean it seems to be aware yeah. that it is that I don't know where the later seasons went so I don't mm. I'm not sure if later on it's sort of
1: but the whole hype around it is something other people give it right mm. it's, Actually, uh, yeah, that, you make a good point there fun, uh, I, I, I think I realized my distaste for Rick and Morty is also in a big part because of the fandom around it
0: Mm. The show
1: may not be as annoying, but the fandom is, oh my God, so cringe and so annoying. No, wait
0: till I come up with my next one. So, <laughs> I think that's a good point to like, to seek, to, to seek into our next point, right? Unless yes. anyone has any other additions to make. Mm-hmm. Watch it. Adventure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I'd say watch both. I, I think one is, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. for sure. So, yeah, I'd say watch mm-hmm. both and probably form your own opinions. Like, generally, as people should. Yes, there is the annoying fan base that comes with uh, extremely po- popular property. Shezuan
1: sauce. Shezuan uh, sauce. Oh,
0: yeah. That, that was just... Uh... <laughs> that, that joke never makes a comeback. I, I mean, or it may... I mean, it may come back in the new season, but it was there for about one, one episode and just ne- eventually never made a comeback, but became a huge thing. In a way, I, I kind of... A, I kind of agree with you guys on certain things. I feel Bojack is the more deeper show and I don't think... Um, Rick and Morty is trying to be as deep as Bojack because oh, when Bojack starts to plumb depths it, it, is, it is terrifying to a certain extent especially his, when they start to explore his relationship with his mother and uh, his mother has dementia right if I'm not mistaken that arc is the
1: worst that arc yeah. is the most depressing arc in any TV show or, like among I would say it's like top three hardest Asked to watch in media I would say it's mm. so difficult to go through that
0: yeah it's not it's not the most pleasant watch like I, like and as I mentioned at the top of this episode is that I find it difficult to watch to binge Bojack or to just go through 12 8 to 12 episodes at a time it takes me a while to get through it but yeah I once again if you're like whoever's listening please let us know uh also if you haven't watched either please do watch either uh before you form an opinion uh, but yeah, like as Rohit was talking about, fandoms that are irritating, the next movie I wanted, the next, my hot take for um, to start off this episode, at least for my end, is that The Dark Knight was probably Christopher Nolan's last half-decent movie. And when I mention half-decent movie, I've, okay, a little, uh, I need to give you some sort of um, backstory here. So... When The Dark Knight was in production, so Batman Begins Happens 2005. Um, It is, I I watch it, absolutely fall in love with it. And in those days of the internet, it was very difficult to get information on on movies and trailers. And I remember when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker, and, and even then there was a shitstorm online as to, oh, how could this possibly be? Then the trailer came out, and we all had it on our phones in little 3GP formats. It looked very good, and then he ended up passing away. And then the dark night happens, and I, and I remember, the like, Sid... Days of quick-time. I'm sorry, yeah, the days, just, just quick-time trailers, I remember those. Yeah, quick-time quick, quick time trailers. Comingsoon.com was, oh... <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so... I, I feel like we're dating ourselves here, yeah, but yeah, that's, that's kind of... We're uh, <laughs> <Very> old, <laughs> man. We're old, right. yeah. Anyway, um. so, I and I remember, like, uh, Sid sent me a review... And uh, I think it was Pete Travers who called it the godfather of superhero movies or something. And so automatically, there was a lot of hype. And uh, then I eventually caught the film. I, was, I, I really liked it. I still, I, I still do to this day think it is a near-perfect superhero film. Then uh, a few years after that, I watched Heat. And I said, oh, so this is... <laughs> so, and when I watched Heat, I was like, ah, okay, so okay. Basically, taken the premise almost uh, a, a very direct nod to the bank robbery scene from Heat is mm-hmm. the opening uh, bank robbery sequence yeah. in The Dark Knight. So, you've taken, in a sense, the concept of Heat and added in a chaotic figure like the Joker in there. Now, I'll just say the Joker is phenomenally written, he's an agent of chaos. All that exceptional performance carries the film. But beyond that, there's not much to write about that movie without um one, because I feel Nolan is has a problem with conveying emotion on screen. All his films are notoriously cold to a point where even The Prestige, which is which in my opinion is my favorite Nolan movie of all time. Um I yeah, think yeah. that movie yeah, I think that yeah. movie
1: yeah.
0: the movie does things he hasn't from a story perspective, hasn't attempted to do in a while. Mostly like later on, his films became very dependent on technology and uh, and IMAX cameras, if I'm being completely honest. Um, so, and I think somewhere around The Dark Knight, the worst things is when you start to believe your own hype. Um, and Inception rolls around, again, a very interesting concept, great blockbuster film. But, Oh my god! Like, make me care for these characters, dude. I, I, like, Dom has this, Cobb has this relationship with his, with his kids, and I couldn't give two shits about. Uh, it's just, and it was like everyone was, and at the time, DiCaprio and Nolan, the combination because DiCaprio was obviously coming off The Departed, uh, which was one of his career best performances, and then Nolan had The Dark Knight the year after, so it was two forces coming together, and the star cast was pretty insane. You had, you had Elliot Page, uh, you had Michael Caine, uh, a young Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who also was kind of the flavor of the season at the time. And it was a pretty big star cast, but it was a pretty, pretty big deal. And I, I remember watching Inception and this was, this was the first time uh, the term voy- violence on steroids popped into my head because as heavy and as, as heavy as the soundtrack to The Dark Knight was, it was bearable. But holy fuck, Inception uh, at some point was like, okay, someone needs to tell Hans Zimmer to like to lower, like, or the sound mixing team to be like, little lower, please. Like, uh, oh,
2: this, is big, this uh, is. I, I, I'm just gonna break you here to remind you that violence on steroids was something that was actually first used by you for uh, Angels and Demons.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. Inception
2: Inception definitely, I mean, was the tipping point. But yeah,
0: that that particular phrase was was angels and demons. Oh, my God, angels and demons. (laughs) I have not heard a more irritating soundtrack in my life. Uh, But okay. And then, I mean, after Inception, Inception was, okay, you could say it was a good film. And then he followed that up with Interstellar a couple of years later, which... For the first 30 minutes, I was on board with it. I was like, okay, you know what? I am in with this movie. And then it just becomes... And then I was, I was watching this... And, and, okay, so I seen Insidious 2, a year before this, Insidious 2 released in 2013, and Interstellar came out in 2014. I'm very interested to know where you're going with this, but okay. <laughs> so, when the, uh, so I assume both <laughs> of you have seen Interstellar, Insidious 2 and in, in Interstellar. I have not I've seen the, the first one. one. Incidus yeah, 2, have you seen? I have seen, seen? In the first. I have not seen No. Okay. So, okay, I I'm, might spoil Incidus. Are you guys going to check out Incidus 2? Should I talk no, about no, it? No, 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 <laughs> no. So Incidus 2 is about the father and his son, and they're dealing with uh, the trauma of having like faced the demon, in the last, and, and the demon wants to get him back. Right? And mm. at one point in time, and during the climax of the film, Patrick Wilson's character gets sucked into another dimension, which is, and while his son is in the house, and he starts to communicate with his son through that dimension to try and like get him to, to leave him a message and to tell him that it is, and that's how, and ultimately it's kind of the power of love that manages to uh, bring them together and defeat the demon. So as you can tell, I am sitting in... Um, Interstellar and and I'm spoiled for Interstellar by the way, and he's going on about Murph and, and he's reaching out to her through a dimension and playing the goddamn piano. I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> <laughs> this, is some,
1: this is some Koila Black Panther bullshit all over
0: again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really?
2: And, and, for, and the thing about gotta know Abhin says really, he says that out loud in the theater. Okay? Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be there saying that to the screen. And, and uh, I had gone with a friend for anonymity's sake. Let's call her Shada. So, and I said, "Oh, dude, this is this is this is, this is this is this is insidious too, all over again." And she starts hitting me in the theater. And I'm like, why? Like, because you're right. And this has happened to me twice. This has happened to me during Talash, where I figured out who the bad guy is, uh, I mean, what the, the twist in the film is. And I said it out loud and people started hitting me. And... Uh, like random people in the theater. Like, no, no, like the people, next, the people next to me. <laughs> <laughs> and also happened during Interstellar. So Anyway... And then this Casey Affleck throughout the movie is being constantly ignored. I'm like, dude, that's the guy you should probably talk to because he's going... He's the one with issues. You've constantly ignored your firstborn to, like, deal with your with your secondborn child. Like, look after him. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, even...
0: He's only... What's happened
1: to Murph? What happened to what son? I don't know. Come on. son. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then, oh yeah, of course, the ending of that is also... <laughs> And I realized this after I left the theater. So there's an episode of Friends where Joey's in a play about going to space. Oh,
2: yeah. Joey... <laughs> Why do I feel like all of these points are taken from Honest Trailers? Because every single no. one of the points that I made has been mentioned in the Honest Trailer of Friends. It's been mentioned in the Honest Trailer for all the Northern movies. Really? I don't. Okay, I don't know this. So I what so no, i doing... agree Actually, agreeing with the fact that, you know, if you had said any of this back when Dark Knight Rises came out, you know, uh, you no, no. Several. Mm. and the fact is, I don't think Nolan really somewhere that that thing has disappeared because I was the whole point of Honest Trailer's I raised it was that when Honest Trailer is able to accurately pinpoint these issues and bring them out, you know, that at least in pop culture, you have
0: lost that halo. So I, but, yeah, so I remember Dark Knight Rises, and when Rohit went and saw it before all of us did, I somehow managed to get tickets, and he's like, "Dude, amazing, amazing!" And I was like, okay, "Dark Knight dude. Rises that changed your life or something, right?" I I remember even being very,
2: very baffled by like he he, he just I remember I was talking to him, and he's like. Yeah, dude, Dark Knight Rises was okay. You know, Roy says it changed
1: his life. Yeah, he- <laughs> I did. When did I say it changed my life? It's, it's not conducive. Like obviously. <laughs> it was, um, and then no, going, it was into, it. going into watching Dark Knight Rises, I knew very well that, you know, uh, it had the level of hype the movie had, that the movie that can match those level of expectations does not exist. It, no movie can be that good, right? Hmm. So. See, when you watch the movie in theatres, it's a Nolan movie, it's the end of the Batman trilogy and you're just like, okay, I am ready to be wowed. Mm -hmm. So, first cut, your first impression, you're just like, okay, wow, I was blown away. And obviously, on repeated watching, I'm like, wow, this movie has more holes
0: than Swiss cheese. (laughs) I remember coming out of the theatre being very underwhelmed. I'm just like, huh? I can't really blame The Dark Knight Rises for it because the hype that The Dark Knight built up Exactly. Uh, so uh, point, what s- do you think? What happened with Nolan? Though I mean, like he's he stopped taking notes. That's my opinion.
1: I that, I feel he really feels he has an obligation to be to outsmart the viewer. Yeah, it's like the viewer I'm, has to feel dumb uh, in his movies. Yeah, not I just think
0: Tenet has a lot of flack. Tenet though. is hot garbage, man. <laughs> not
1: God, it. Garbage. Yeah.
0: So I expect. So yeah, this is another thing with about Nolan, right? So before we. Go back to, wow! This timeline jumping is very reminiscent of a Nolan film, but let's do it. So, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, very apt. The way to do it. <laughs> Yeah, very very apt. With with Tenet, right? So so last summer, like obviously we all with with the pandemic being where it was, Tenet was in line for a summer release, and the studio had explicitly told Nolan, "No one is going to come. Stop trying to put this film in theaters." And <coughs> it went from. Uh, June to July and finally in August said Nolan said no no this is what this is the movie we're going to use to welcome back people to cinemas it came it didn't do a lot it didn't do a lot of uh, it, it didn't make a lot of money made I think of it underwhelmed even in certain, certain experiences certain places because theaters just weren't open anywhere across the world and I was in India and I, I hadn't been in a theater for six months which is probably the longest I've ever not gone to a, a theater and uh, I said you know what Tenet is running. I have to go watch it to all the necessary precautions. Went and fell asleep because there is once again, as as per usual, great opening sequence. Uh, like they there is an opera house heist. Uh, heist happening. Very interesting. I've been sorry to uh, sorry
1: to interrupt you. Yeah, uh, I'm really glad you didn't. But imagine going to the theater and getting code to towards
0: Tenet like for so COVID for this. <laughs> I, I sat with my mask on at a face. She took all precautions. And like, mm. so, and in spite of that, there were people sitting there in, in the audience without masks on. Anyway, that's a different, separate discussion altogether. Um, <laughs> and and then and then I, I fell asleep and then I woke up and I'm like, okay, I haven't really missed a lot of plot lines. And when it ended, I had no idea. I wasn't sure as to what had happened and which forced me to go back home, opened up Reddit, opened up Reddit, and then I realized there are six different timelines in this goddamn movie, and I had only noticed two, and they're all running in parallel. Which is okay? So it's an interesting concept. There, are certain parts of the movie where you're just like, ah, oh, okay, that's nice. That's nice. Fine. Uh, that's a great storytelling element. That's visually, that looks amazing. Case in point for Dunkirk. I think Dunkirk. Most of it is in uh, in camera action. Right. So it's once hmm. again, I'm in a war movie about people who are who are facing near certain death. I don't care about any of them, like not one. Do you, do you remember the name of a single character? No, I don't. Which is the problem? I Thank just, you. I just know, yeah. I just know Harry Styles is in this movie. That's about it. Yeah. And because yeah. he's Harry Styles and uh, Michael Caine, because of course Michael Caine, not Michael Caine. It's Mark Rylance, right? Mark Rylance is the yeah, uh, yeah. So mm. Mark Rylance. Is, Mark And I mean, Kenneth Branagh is there. Yeah, Kenneth. Branagh. Yeah. I just, see. I know. We know actors because you can point them out. Of course. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to like ni- 1917, which is a movie was and I absolutely adore. It's yeah. two characters okay. and. Interesting. Uh, it's two characters, and it's it's a far more emotionally invest uh, investing tale than Dunkirk with all its massive set pieces, uh, manages to achieve. So I think the problem with Christopher Nolan is in he try he trades emotion for spectacle one too many a time, and it's starting to show in his films where you start to see these ca- these people do fantastical exceptional stunts and like feats and feats but you can't don't really care about who they are or what they represent Mm -hmm. i think that's kind of my issue with nolan and has been for a while now
1: when you first said this was your opinion i was curious as to what your justification Mm -hmm. of it would be hearing you out i think i largely agree with you the one point where i still i mean i my opinion differs from you is i personally like interstellar in full cognizance of the fact that a lot a lot of it doesn't stand up to logic or it's mm. not great storytelling. In a I, way, you not, like
2: it because of that, you know, because... Exactly. In another, that, is, that is a little bit of a relief that you
1: have, at least, you know, something that isn't just fitting together too perfectly for it to actually be real. Exactly. Exactly. And for that, for that exact reason, I feel for him, this was more of an emotional... Uh, what do I say he's out on a limb emotionally in this movie he's actually exposed a little uh, the side of what moves him in this movie it didn't connect with the audience and I think he realized you know what fuck that I'll just continue to try and outsmart them uh, if I mean in a different world if Interstellar had, had been better received we would have seen a different set of movies that he would have worked on but for for the most part other than uh, Interstellar I agree entirely with what you said hmm. Hmm. Uh, okay uh,
2: Nolan so many, so many things. So many things were brought up that I just, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Insidious, the first one, and and the uh, why Patrick Wilson jumped into the other dimension to backflip kick a demon who looks
1: like Nightcrawler. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <backflip>. <laughs> I think I agree. No, really, Darth uh, Maul. Darth Maul. Yeah, budget uh, Darth, Darth, <laughs> <laughs> Darth Maul. Darth um,
2: Maul. I, I see, I mean, Abin knows this. My problem with Nolan was slightly also that uh, I was a little possessive of the fact that I found Nolan before he was... I like Nolan before it was cool. And then when <laughs> something that happened and every Tom Dick and Harry likes Nolan, I was like, you can't do this. I'm not... I am not wasn't the biggest fan of Dark Knight even when it came out. I like it. It's certainly a very well-made movie. In hindsight, I think my my problem with it is that even when it came out, I saw it mainly as a crime film, as a heist film. And as a heist film, I think it's up there with a lot of good heist films. I mean, I've already talked about how it's basically just heat. Um, but for me, you know, it's a heist film. Masquerading as a superhero film is very different from a pure superhero film that deals with very superhero-related issues. You know, that's the, Nolan is like, oh, he's like, oh, i got Batman, but I don't really care about comics. Or so he's gone and just done his own thing. And The Dark Knight certainly had... I mean, for me, Batman Begins is my favorite of the three. I agree. Um, And I still watch it, I still like it, because it's fun, because there are parts of it you can't uh, take very seriously. This is not to say that it's a better movie than The Dark Knight, but just that it's a better Batman or a comic book movie. It is is a comic book movie, let me put it that way, while I think Mm. the other two are not to a large extent. Um, I'm a huge, huge WWE two enthusiast as i think most people are it's not something you really need to see But a lot of people are mm. world war two enthusiasts for me dunkirk um going in as somebody who's seen probably over 50 documentaries on world war ii wasn't that bad as bad especially guys seem to have really not liked it uh, mm. there was no story yes there was no emotion but the pro the point was that um uh, I've I've felt like ever since Interstellar, we just talked about Interstellar and I agree with Rohit, I liked Interstellar partly, see I think Nolan's best work or the one I like the most has been when the actors are so oozing with a certain natural charm, maybe bordering on Mm. overacting that it mm. compensates for stiffness of his writing and, you know, so in, in the prestige, Hugh Jackman certainly is a showman in the movie itself and he's at his showman best. Uh, similarly, Matthew McConaughey has his own, you know, he is Matthew McConaughey and Interstellar has that. I think uh, I completely agreed with Rohit when he said that it looked like Nolan was opening up just a little bit and we could glimpse, you know, when he wants to talk about how love is what breaks Uh, The barriers. A lot of people thought it was incredibly stupid but yes I mean here I'm finally seeing some part of the missing picture of the Nolan universe you know but what irritates you is that you don't see him frequently deal with the issue of what he feels makes that clock tick. That's what ultimately great movies are about, not how the clock ticks, but what, what makes it go round and round all the time. Mm-hmm. And Interstellar is something that they sort of want to talk about that a little bit, about love, about how fundamentally things are inexplainable. And it was touching. It was almost touching. Everything since then, I've not seen Tenet. I, like Rohit said, I've heard pretty much similar opinions. It seems that way to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, Dunkirk was purely a technical exercise. So I'm just going to view it as a technical exercise. It managed to create some stunning visuals and some stunning um, set pieces that uh, if, if anyone can replicate those in an actual World War II narrative movie, if you can have a battle. I think that's tremendous. I mean, the way the way those battles, the way each bullet hits you. It's not the large-scale slaughter of saving Private Ryan. It's more like just that sheer terror of being there and not knowing what's going to come out of where. The problem is the movie is not much more than that. It's just Mm -hmm. one and a half hours off. But I'm like, it didn't look like, again, Like Nolan was trying to do much more than that. He just seemed to want to have a you know, just want to have fun with his instruments. I do think Nolan is in many ways, he's a little bit like James Cameron in that sense that a lot of what is good about him is, is very technical. Um, you know, his accomplishments, his interests, I would rather say, can be very technical at times. Dunkirk was something that went almost purely technical. So, okay, if you wanted to do that, he can do that. Can I have no idea. If, if there's a movie where Robert Pattinson looks like he's the only interesting thing about it. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, he has been good in a lot of movies. That's not my point, but... Uh, mm. I don't know Tenet looks bad you guys have seen it you're
1: telling me it's bad I'll take have it. you guys have you guys watched this uh, this okay goes a music video on treadmills where they yeah, step uh, from one treadmill to the here other here we here we go again yeah hmm. Tenet's timelines are like that video <laughs> <laughs> no I
2: mean Tenet's frustrating problem is that it's literally hating its audience right like it's <laughs> like oh, oh you think you figured out Inception what the hell try this will <laughs> <laughs> work like why? Okay. That's not the, I didn't like inception. I was not on board the inception hype train and there was a huge inception hype train. Oh, I, saw I, I saw inception and my problem with inception, which in largely in a way sums up the problem with Nolan for me again, going back to Ebert, because I used to read a lot of Ebert, is that Ebert talks about, um, how inception is supposed to deal with dreams. And then he brings up, uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking Fellaini, but it's not Fellaini, who's that?
0: Fellini, sorry. Hey, Fellini, yeah. <laughs> As <I was> <laughs> it's, more a, it's very alli- alliterative. <laughs> you can go one of two ways. You can either go nine and a half or <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> He talks about Fellini dealing with dreams, I think. Uh, I'm not sure if it was nine and a half or another
1: movie. It's nine and a half. How dreams are... Eight and a half. What is nine and a half? Sorry, eight and a half. Eight nine and half. is the move.
0: <laughs> nine <laughs> and a half is the erotic thriller. I mind. Okay, God, right. Okay, I've not seen either of those just for the
2: record. <laughs> Eight and a half, right. Um and he talks about how dreams fundamentally he finds it hard to believe that dreams are basically board games. He's like, what's happening in Inception is not a dream, it's a board game with very fixed rules, you know, and everyone obsessing over those rules, you do this like he's like a dream is sort of like this half understandable amorphous gas cloud merging with another gas. You don't know what's happening. The whole point of dream is you can never pinpoint exactly what's going on. And he's like, whatever this is, it's a fun little thriller with its own tight rules. To bring the concept of dreams into it is a little bit offensive because dreams are so, so much more than that. For me, that in a way is, you know, what Nolan's about. But again, not somebody I hate on. But um, I think the hype around Nolan has died down, especially after Tenet. I mean, I don't see any toxic Nolan fan clubs around anymore, so. Yeah, I back. That, uh, yeah. I'm not even sure if this is an unpopular
0: opinion any longer. Dark Knight not being the best Batman film that could be an unpopular opinion. I agree. I, I wholeheartedly anyway. agree. It's not the best Batman film. I think it's a good film. I think Batman Begins is better. No, no. But, I think between
1: us, we agree. But uh, I wouldn't say that oh out loud God. in in a public place. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I think uh, it's time for Sid's first opinion. Uh, yeah.
2: Oh God! Right. Um, Okay, let's go Indian. Um, something that I just, I don't know why, this is the first thing that popped into my head when I was like, I have this platform, I have this opportunity, let me talk about how I think Nasruddin Shah is extremely overrated. <laughs> and um, I, I I don't know, I mean, cards on the table, you guys tell me first of all straight up whether you are curious at all to hear that or you're already sharpening
0: the knives on that. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm interested to know this perspective because I just feel Nasruddin Shah is kind of, in my opinion, he's a little... He, he's probably a level or two higher than Anupam Kher because he picks similar... Films. Yeah, I mean, Anupam Kher doesn't count. Wow, fuck yeah.
1: both of you. Somehow, <laughs> both of you. Anupam <laughs> okay. on
2: top. I disagree <laughs> with both of you. Amazing. Cool. Um. So, the thing with nasuddin Shah is I don't know if you guys have seen OK Kanmani. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, ex- Exhibit A and my only clinching evidence is Okay, Kanmani, Prakash Raj role. One of my favorite Prakash Raj performances. You know, and Prakash mm. Raj is somebody I would say is a lot better than Nasruddin Shah. Okay, Janu, the Hindi remake. Forget everything else. They replaced Prakash Raj with Nasruddin Shah. I, I watched those two movies back to back, actually, because I saw Okay, Kanmani and I liked it so much and I had time on my hands. I immediately put Okay, Janu. And I'm like, I want to see what, what they did with this. And, I, and Nasruddin Shah, I think, um, I don't think he's a bad actor. Let me put it out there at all. But I think he has a certain limited uh, theatricality to him. For me, it's 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 a very theatrical kind of performance that I don't always buy into. That doesn't always work for me. And for me, his ability to blend in or to be able to do different kinds of roles is far far more limited than uh, for me. Om Puri and Elfan Khan will always be the top two actors of all the actors that I know. For me, and I and there are certain things I respect about them. You know, one of them is the fact that. Um, with Om Puri, you know, he can be this extremely sleazy slime ball in Chachi Chaudhary's the Kamal Hasan film, where he's just hitting on one maid after the other, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and at this and then suddenly he can be an extremely dignified, uh, uh, you know, uh, a lawyer slash victim, riot victim, and and something like, uh, oh my God, to to doing uh, to being. Parveel, not Parvez Musharraf was that, um, in Char- Charlie Wilson's war, he was, uh, I'm forgetting the Pakistani uh, president.
0: Zia Haq. Zia Haq. right. Mm. So,
2: and in each of those roles, you know, uh, he, he, blends in and out to him. One thing that you, that comes across, not in just his performances, even in his interviews is that both he and Irfan Khan, uh, have never shit on a single film that they've done, even though they've done a lot of terrible movies. And this is something that gets thrown at them a lot. How do you you feel about acting in an AK-47 or in a dirty politics? And they both have a lot of respect for the process. They have a respect for the fact that, you know, even when we were in a bad movie, everybody tried to do their best. You know, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the first day you show up on set, you think, okay, you you can see this is is going to go really, really badly because of the way things are. But Mm -hmm. you can't back out at that moment. And you shouldn't. That it's not... Mm -hmm. Nasruddin Shah, on the other hand, has left and right crapped on everyone. Like, he craps on whoever he finds. To him, nobody is up to his standard. To him, Bollywood is not up to his standard. And I think, to me, that makes a lot of sense when you go back to that era when Nasruddin Shah was trying to be a hero. And, you know, you look at um, his, uh, his pop films. I think Abhin might have seen them. I don't know if you guys have uh, or seen Sir? Sir, partly, but also, like, uh, I think he was there in Tiranga. Uh, he yeah, was there think, in... Yeah. Yeah, he, he was uh-huh. there in uh, Tridev, you know, that Tirchi Topi Wale, yeah, he's yeah, there yeah, in yeah. Uh, Hero Hiralal. He's not half bad as a in terms of screen presence, you know. He, uh, especially, I particularly enjoy Hiro Hiralal, but somehow that didn't work out for him. And the impression I've always gotten is that since then, he's been sort of become bitter about it that he couldn't be where he thought he should be. Um, I really don't know if Nasruddin Shah being all that is is even a thing anymore because among the Younger people that I talk to, among a lot of people that I do talk to, they seem to be far more aware. Everybody knows Nana Partikar. Everybody knows Paresh Raval as well. Um, everybody knows Anupam Ked. I mean, whether you think he's an actor or not. Yeah. Uh, not uh, people are like, "Ha, huh, Nasruddin Shah. Yeah. And, you know, back when we were in 12th um, and in college, Nasruddin Shah was at that. And in those days, it was like you couldn't... Uh, Nasruddin Shah was right up there. He was supposed to be one of those people who was like the sh- knight in shining armor. And uh, maybe he doesn't still have that halo around him. But um, but for what it's worth, I mean, a lot of people still hold that opinion that, oh, Nasruddin Shah was somebody who was too good for the industry. Nasruddin Shah was this, that. I've always found him very annoying. Uh, right. And I've always thought that as an actor, he's very dramatic, but he cannot compare with a pra- even a Prakash Raj or a. Or a Om Puri or, uh, you know, Irfan Khan. He's okay. He's one level below that, but definitely two levels above Anupam Kesh. So I, I, I just
0: want was, to say he yeah, was the worst yeah. part of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. The League of Extraordinary Settlement yeah. is, a pretty bad, is a pretty bad movie by itself. It's I
2: think I, I just, that just reminded me also part of the reason why Nasuddin Shah is so important to us is because
0: of the dirty picture, right?
2: Because we had a close friend who actually worked with him for a while. He was in the movie, so, yeah, but... Um, yeah. I am not particularly a big fan of his performance in the dirty picture either. You know, he's, he has this half stoned, half i do not care about this and I'm cocky just face
1: throughout it. It doesn't work. Anyway, go ahead. Talks. Uh, I am more curious about the Anupamkay point. I mean please continue. I'm waiting to hear. What Anupam Kher's point? Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, yeah. Anyways, I'm just listening. Continue. I feel
0: uh, I feel Anupam K I mean, obviously they both have roots in theater, right? And I feel Anupam Kher's best performances come on the stage as opposed to on screen. And Anupam Kher is just he's a he's a checkbook actor at this point. Oh okay. I, I have an unpopular opinion right here, but yeah, sure. <clears throat> Go ahead. Okay, I, I'd, I'd love to know what you hated so much about my Anupam Kher opinion. No, so uh, when
1: Sid started out by saying Nasruddin Shah is overrated, I would agree with the fact that Nasruddin Shah of today is definitely overrated. He's a shadow of the actor he once was. Uh, also, his turns as the traditional leading man, I wouldn't say worked all that well. Uh, you need... Being a good actor is not what constitutes being a good leading man, at least in Bollywood, unfortunately. Mm. So, maybe for him it didn't, I, in my personal opinion, that didn't work out for him as well. But, the Nasruddin Shah of the 80s and the early 70s was mm. truly a great actor. For I mean, case in point being Masoom,
0: mm.
1: like right. his performance right. in the movie, very natural. Yeah. And... But yeah, I I completely agree with the fact that maybe him and again the same way with Anupam Kher, they're riding on the reputations that they built maybe three decade three or four decades ago. They're not the actors they were. That I don't know. Does that mean they aren't good actors, or are they not good actors now? That's the distinction that I'm struggling with.
2: I see. I mean, going back to the '70s, Masoom. Yes. I mean, when I think of good performances, uh, that my personal favorite is probably Jhanvi Do Yaro, hmm. where he's yeah. this jailed. Uh, it's, again, for me, that is as good as I've seen Nasruddin Shah. And even in that movie, there's so many other show-stealers. Because Nasruddin Shah is the straight man uh, in most of the movie. And there are these comedy bits where he goes a little over, the, where he's expected to go a little over the top. It doesn't sort of fit. Because I think he has a sort of intrinsic sobriety and dignity that prevents him from going all out into those, uh, you know... Uh, Ravi Vaswani is a show-stealer in that movie, right? As his father. Oh, no. Ompuri as Beam is like. <laughs> Ompuri as Beam and, and, uh, and Pankaj Kapoor as Karneja. You know, Pankaj Kapoor doesn't lot enough credit, seriously. Pankaj Kapoor as yeah, he doesn't. Even, even Satish Cha is Dumello, Commissioner Dumello. Just for <laughs> hmm. me, all of those are the things I think of and laugh about so much. Nasruddin Shah sort of holds it together by being one of the straight players off whom everyone else can play off. But for me, those are the kind of things Jaya was good at. Um, in Masoom, I did like his performance, but I would say it is along the same broad category of uh, straight leading men with dramatic issues in their life that he sort of has played a few times and he's been good at. Andher uh, Nagari Raja. there is this movie called Par. For me, again, good choices. He's definitely an intellectual, you know, to whatever connotations those words have. But Mm. something that I have grown out of and something I used to believe in earlier is that uh, art is not intellectualism. And to me, again, now for me, there's this whole category of people who earlier for me were the epitome of what an artist can be, who I now see as very limited in their capacities because for them, everything has to conform to this, which is not where art always comes from the mind. Mm. Um, It's a part of it. You use it to, you know, cover up your deficiencies to make things better but like we were discussing with nolan it's not just a mind game um i think the problem if i had to put it was that um there is this uh, wonderful uh, discussion that Sidney Lumet had where he talked about he wondered what makes a star because he talked about how even as directors they are not exactly able to figure out why a star is a star and he's directed Pacino in a lot of movies and he's like mm. for me I see Pacino as an actor but I don't know what really makes him work you know what mm. that the chemistry that a star has to him his hypothesis uh, was something that a lot of other people also tend to uh, give the benefit of doubt to that, that the star has this vulnerability about him. And when you think of uh, any of the stars in their star making performances, they have this particular thing where they dominate their environment within the context of the film, of the narrative, mm-hmm. but they are vulnerable to the audience that mm-hmm. the audience Gets to see a side of them. There's some mm. this this is really again this is something that goes very very you know there's layers and layers of psychology involved. But uh, somewhere when the audience is connecting to when the star is playing for the audience and the audience knows that the star is playing for them, that's where he's able to open up. Where he's able to show his weak spots. And mm. that is also true for me for good actors. You know, uh, you know, there's Irfan Khan opens up. You see him vulnerable a lot of times. Uh, and Om Puri opens up, you see his vulnerability uh, and his private life is uh, has been fairly colorful with all the alcoholism and all the, mm. uh, you know, his very strong political beliefs. You see a lot of that seep through uh, in part of his performances at some level, even if it's not overt. Naseer, on the other hand, often for me as an actor is somebody who's trying to cover up those vulnerabilities where he is, uh, occasionally you do see that Matsum again, I think is a good performance. So it's no problems there. But a lot of time, you do see the technique of it. You don't see him you s- him opening up in that sense that great mm-hmm. actors often do. Mm-hmm. For me, that's missing. That's an next factor that's always missing. So that, for me, is what makes... That's the best way that I can describe the, the lack that I feel, you know, between two sets of who are otherwise technically equally good actors.
1: Yeah, I feel really. I feel so with- dumb and said talks,
0: dude. Like, <laughs> 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 Lance, concise, he went on like, like an impassioned defense. <laughs> like an impassioned Yeah, an erudite, well-structured defense. Because I'm like, because you know what, as he was talking, I was listening to him and I'm going, this is probably going to be the most, this comes as like a hot take, something that's meant to, uh, you know, piss people off. But in reality, it's turning out to be a, a far more interesting episode <laughs> than I'd imagined yeah, it to be. Yeah. Because there's a serious discussions at play. Anyway, um, I think I... I Anupam fally, Kher, I still have to. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, you, you have two minutes on Anupam Kher. Just go for it.
1: <laughs> no, again, Anupam Kher, I just want to bring another case in point. I'm not... I, I still feel the same not the actor that he was riding mm. on past laurels. Have you guys yeah, watched Saranj? Saranj? Yes. 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 I mean, Kher, how, how can anyone watch Saranj and say Anupam Kher does not have at least the potential to be a great actor?
2: Mm. I think... I wouldn't say he doesn't have the potential. I just don't think he ever lived up to even
1: He will up to it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I, I am, I'm being too, you know, my sample space is just one reference point, which hmm. made, no, you know, no, it's made un- sense. No, no, it's
2: understandable. You you sort of feel like you're on the actor's side because, you know, you have seen that one good performance where you're you, you seeing what they're capable of. So you're always going to be defending them knowing. But, I mean, these are people who are more or less at the end of their lifespan. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, their <laughs> career lifespans. And they haven't really had that. For me, Anupam Kher, at least very unambiguously, has not had that much to show for it. He, all true, the true. choices he's made have not played to his strength. You can no, see that. The, was, the,
1: in, the, in the 90s, he used to do those comedies with uh, Anil Kapoor. No, but he was, you know, I would he
2: was, compare Anupam Kher in terms of potential to a Paresh Rawal. I would place him at the exact same level. But yeah. Paresh Rawal embraced, um, you know, both the villainy and the comedy. To, uh, see, again, uh, there was, I remember in SRK episode... Uh, Abhin was talking about Sajid Khan, right? Uh, Abhin, Mm -hmm. how Sajid Khan is extremely literate, extremely, uh, you know, film aware person. And to me, again, that is like we were talking, one of those things that there are certain people who insult, uh, whose performances are just irritating to watch because you know they can do better, but they're not doing it because they don't need to. With the Sajid Khan, it's like, oh, Indian film audience, and then he goes all out to offend you because he thinks that's what, I don't know, that's what works. That... Somewhere that, that plays across as false. That doesn't work. Whereas I would not be that pissed off at an Anis Bazmi Because I don't look at an Anis Bazmi as, you know, even and I can have fun with it because I'm like, this is a person who's doing what looks like he can do. Mm-hmm. My point is simply that um, the anger, not the anger, the disappointment at an Anupam Kher is not that, you know, he did everything he could, but it was limited. He couldn't have done much mm-hmm. more. It's that he could have done so much, but so many of his performances are just not even putting in the effort. You know, particularly a lot of his comedy is not something I'm a fan of. Mm. Uh, mm. I love his comedy in a, uh, you know, in a um, Khosla Ga Ghosla where he's actually mm. in yeah. the classic cities. That's where he's performing. But he could have, there's so many masala films which he's just sort of discarded like, oh, these are masala films so why do I need to even put in the effort? And mm. again, that means that he's wasted that much screen time, right? So that's my only complaint. Now, I
1: don't think he's not somebody without potential. The round one's done thing. Okay, so back to me. My second contentious opinion is that Leo DiCaprio doesn't really have range and he's, he's overrated as an actor. If I were to sum it up in a line, I would say if, Dica- if his characters were given castor oil, DiCaprio would have no career. So hear me out. <laughs> or, or look at, I can see the expression on Sid's face, so just hear me out. So I have this entire narrative that I've built in my head, right? So it all started with the basketball diaries where his character's heroin addiction probably gave constipation and for the rest of his career dicaprio was looking for ways to relieve himself okay every every movie of his he plays these tortured characters and he plays them really well right they're struggling with some moral dilemma or some life threatening yes. situation anyway. and and i so he plays that aspect of the character well but that's pretty much all he does he's very one note in that there's a lot of scowling there's a lot of yelling but mostly there's a lot of this face you know that that face you make when you really have to poop, but it's not coming out. I mean, we we we've all been there. You know what I mean? And uh, maybe not so much until 2004. I think he was still doing like Catch Me If You Can. Is is it's a different kind of movie. Titanic, obviously. I'm not saying he's doing all of that. But ever since the Aviator, he's been chasing that brown barrage for lack of a better term. <laughs> so hmm. you take Departed, you take Blood Diamond, Body of Lies, Shutter Island, Inception, Great Gatsby. Or even Wolf of Wall Street, which for me is a prime example? And I think his role that I hate the most probably tied with the Reverend, which ironically won the Oscar for. And I don't know why. So, you know, in, in all of his movies, he just has that he's pissed off, he's angry, and he's struggling with some moral dilemma, and that's that's all he does. I I would actually be very interested to see Leo DiCaprio in a out and out rom com. See how he does yeah. in that setup, like you know, where he's he's it's light hearted and uh it's funny and it's it's romantic I would really i mean that's the sort of range I would want him to explore two exceptions in this filmography that I would want to call out are Django Unchained and once upon a Time in Hollywood. yeah, I think Tarantino knows how to work. DiCaprio knows how to get something other than just this out of him uh but I don't know maybe he just puts a loo on set, so you know.
0: Uh, maybe that <laughs> helps. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so that's about, my opinion on <laughs> So I mean, I was about to make the points and then you brought it up. I feel his best work came in the 2010s. And uh, as much and until I'd say until 2013 when Django came out. I don't like Django the movie. I feel it's bloated mm. and in very, very, uh, much. very feels it feels very bloated and it the subject matter deserved a much better film. But the one thing it got absolutely spot on was DiCaprio's casting as Calvin Candy. That guy is just so good in that movie. And you know, and everyone knows the story about him banging his hand on the, uh, on the table, uh, on the table, breaking, cutting his hand on glass and still continuing the shot, which is in the film. Um, He is, I think it was one of the first few times he played a character with extremely gray shades and, it was, and until then, I was getting bored with Django till he showed up. I said, "Okay, so there's, you have a gun, you have the gunslinger trope, and you know, um, who is challenging societal norms at a time like this." And then this guy shows up, and he chews up the entire scenery. And I said, "Oh, I haven't seen this kind of DiCaprio since The Departed," which, in my opinion, is prob- was probably his best performance till then. You could say What's Eating Gilbert Great was a shock to everyone's system because. He was what 17 and he was 19, exceptional. Yeah. In, yeah, he was exceptional in that movie as well. Titanic was obviously more he like he fell into the lover boy character trope, which is why I think he doesn't chase rom coms as much because there's a strong association with a film having that eternal love story that he shared with Rose and, and, and Kate yeah. Winslet. Man,
1: it's not the worst association, man. It's fine, like. Wow, the only association, only other association you could probably have is with the second highest grossing movie of all time, which is beloved to
0: this day. Wow, yeah. that's such a tragedy. I mean, it's like I feel he's like in a bid to not get stereotyped, he actively pushed him he pushed against those kind of roles. The Wolf of Wall Street, everyone says that it's his best performance. I don't agree. Ugh. I feel the Wolf I feel the Wolf of Wall Street is it's it's most its biggest selling point is it's is it's excess and it's a black comedy where it kind of pushes you to laugh at things and then realize oh none of this shit is funny because when it eventually swings Mm. uh and it makes you feel really bad for being that person so um but yeah, so when so coming back to my point about Django, I thought he was really good in that film. Possibly, if there was an Oscar nomination to have been won, given the countless times he's been nominated, that was probably what he should have won for. If not, he should have definitely been considered for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where... I, everyone says Brad Pitt I think Leo is the soul of that movie I just feel like, once again it's a cat with a moral dilemma it's a guy who basically traded a successful career to take a risk which, has, which isn't paying off and now he's being invited to Italy uh, to take part in Italian spaghetti westerns which kind of is at the time was the death knell of most actors before Eastwood swung it around and so there's mm-hmm. that he's dealing with that conundrum and at the same time working on guest spots and and it, it's more to do with an actor's self-confidence because especially when he's he has a breakdown in his trailer and he starts flinging shit around and then he goes back on set and the little child actress comes to him and tells him that was the best performance I've ever seen. And when he sits back and then he cries and he goes, God damn, he takes a moment. And so I can't really like... So you can't really say DiCaprio doesn't have range. He does have range. It's just that he doesn't do a lot of films to showcase that range. He usually picks the character with the most trauma, the most to lose or just someone who's going through the absolute worst day of his life over and over again it's like Groundhog Day but hell that's what DiCaprio's <laughs> movie filmography is for most part um, I mean, nobody's stopping him from
1: taking something else but yeah I, 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 I take your point no no there
2: is something stopping him right like his status is way too big for him too. And then it's something he's very consciously built up by his selection of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, If you're talking of DiCaprio for me, I mean, you, you can't ignore his megastar status, right? He's up there maybe, I don't know, since DiCaprio, maybe only Downey Jr. has had that kind of stardom after that. Mm-hmm. And Downey Jr. stardom is largely Marvel. So mm-hmm. that's something mm-hmm. he shares with the studio, not... Uh, DiCaprio, for me, DiCaprio and Tom Cruise might have been the last American superstars. Um but I would rather watch Tom Cruise. I've never been a big fan of DiCaprio's performances. Um, It's, I think, uh, something uh, Pala had said about um, Natalie Portman's performance is that it's not best acting so much as it's the most acting. (laughs) And that's a lot less like uh, how I feel about a lot of DiCaprio's performances, especially in the Revenant, where oh he's God. just grunting and snorting and yeah. and for me the Revenant is two different films when DiCaprio's face is on it and when Tom Hardy's there because Tom Hardy is somebody who is such a superstar like for me as an actor tom yeah. Hardy might be the, the 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 biggest um star who can actually you know for who for for me whose acting is almost flawless like he's there mm. he's um Having said that, my favorite DiCaprio performance is Catch Me If You Can, something where I cannot imagine anybody else playing his role. And I think in general, every DiCaprio performance I've enjoyed or I have felt that he's bringing something to the table is the one where there is an element of a con involved, where he's playing a guy who's trying to sell you something, where he's playing a guy who's trying to convince you that he's this person, whether that's Wolf of Wall Street, whether that's Great Gatsby. I, I think again, that's something uh, you know. Whatever its merits as a performance, it's very easy to see DiCaprio in that role, and
1: uh, it's very hard to see anyone else. I in mean, that the role. character itself is probably one of the most famous tortured characters in literature. I mean, who are yeah, I mean, DiCaprio to play that? It's then?
2: not even about being tortured because if you want tortured, you can go. You can also again think Mel Gibson. I talk about Mel Gibson a lot, but Mel Gibson's being tortured as hell in so many of his movies, and you know he's drawn on his own alcoholism and his own rage. For that, for me, this isn't about torture as much as DiCaprio is a person. If you look at it as a career, who's trying to sell you the fact that he's a good actor. I think the effort is hundred percent, hundred and ten percent there. But again, sometimes you can you can just see the effort. So many times you just see the effort, and you shouldn't be able to see it. And the only times I haven't been able to see it, or I've been able to sort of completely, uh, you know, buy into it, is when he's playing a guy who's trying to sell you something. Because when he's not, I don't see him. Like you said, a rom-com would be extremely fascinating to see DiCaprio in the rom-com as a, you know, as as the, uh, I, I don't know, as the as the Mark Darcy in
0: a Bridget Jones Diary, maybe. Um, <laughs> Imagine if you, Grant yeah, had DiCaprio's career and that was switched around.
2: <laughs> no, but uh, and also last thing, Django Unchained. Um, uh, I'm not. Again, I enjoyed his performance, actually, no complaints, but it's not like I don't think there have been other people who could have done a better job. Um, For me, if if I imagine a Robert Downey Jr. in that role, I think uh, I would be willing to bet that Downey Jr. could have pulled something off that uh, maybe I felt like... um, I like Django Unchained. Um, I I like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've not seen all of it. I've seen bits of it, but I really, really do like DiCaprio's performance in that a lot more something about it is quite touching. Mm -hmm. Um, But in general, I mean, my problem with DiCaprio simply stems from that incredible reputation that he has as one of the greatest actors, which I think is more amongst his fan following and amongst, you know, what would you say, commoners rather than the film elite, in a sense. my, My only issue would be, the only reason I'm saying all this is simply because there's a certain section of people for whom it was like... But DiCaprio is one of the greatest actors who's ever lived. And that section of you know, that section of people is not people who know Lawrence Olivier or even a Daniel day Lewis. There was, but he did have an incredible mass for has an incredible mass following or cult following. I personally think Tom Cruise is a better actor. I say what <laughs> no. I personally think that. I'm saying, dude, I would rather watch Tom Cruise uh Jerry Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. That's again something only Tom Cruise can do. Um, Tom Cruise in something like The Last Samurai is what I feel DiCaprio is most of the time you know <laughs> That's, those are two very. Cool. I, again, I don't think Tom Cruise is an incredibly better performer than DiCaprio but between the two uh, Born on the 4th of July is something I don't know Born 4th of July is DiCaprio, a sad movie, it's a,
0: movie but it's, it's a good performance by Tom Cruise you know oh, I, I I completely agree but, I think it's, it's his last great performance that was in hey, 1989. sure. Oh, oh, okay,
2: yeah. I, take, I take that back, yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise has his fun, you know. He, he does, a lot of the times, he's, he's a little more honest about what he's doing. He's just, and off late, there's just cardio. I mean, the last five years, he's like, I'm in I'm my 50s, I'm going to do a lot of cardio. He's <laughs> yeah, a time. I'm just going to run. <laughs> so, uh, and the last thing would be um, this, this, this movie. Oh, what were we talking about? Okay, I forgot. Uh, the, the Departed, because I love hmm. that movie so much. I love The Departed. I first saw it. It was the movie that made me swear for the first time in my life. Probably, I did not swear when I was in school. I was a good kid. And then, when we were in eleventh, I once saw the movie, and I came to class the next day and I couldn't stop swearing. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. (laughs) But for me, Matt Damon is far more interesting in The Departed because Mm. it's it's a Matt Damon not being the wholesome guy. You know, Matt Damon the shady. Character Mad Damon, the man with secrets. It's, I, I love seeing that. Mad is more interesting. Mark Wahlberg's Kelly. He's just Mark Wahlberg. Again, yeah. not that DiCaprio's bad at all. Not that he's even... That they're complained. So nothing like they shouldn't have taken him. But for somebody whose reputation is so elevated, I'm like, he's a good actor who puts some decent amount of effort. But he's not exceptional. He's not going to make my jaw drop like... Um, Daniel Lewis does in, in Lincoln, which is a movie and a performance um, I love. There will be so. blood. Or, 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 or Tom has, Or there will be blood. Yeah, there will be blood for me a little more on the showy side. But yes, spectacular performance. Mm. But also like um, I, I, a Christian Bale. I respect Christian Bale for the fact that he seems so thoroughly disinterested in his own stardom. Uh, mm. For me, the best kind of Christian Bale performances are the big shot, where he's just, um, yeah. I think he's autistic mm-hmm. in that. He's on the spectrum. He's on the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, what is this character supposed to be, what he says. <clears throat> but he plays it so, he can be, what would you say, he can just be the character without there being the need to be anything else. That's not something DiCaprio can do by virtue of his stardom, but that stardom is also part of his own choice. I, I Johnny Depp is generally
0: far more fascinating. than a DiCaprio. so you' yeah, yeah, a lot more fascinating. Yeah. What was that? Uh, Donny Brasco. And well, he was of- He was he was very good in Donny Brasco. I, mean, we've, I this is again a you should have been on the last week's episode because again at length we spoke mm-hmm. about how the Pirates franchise has just kind of made him, into him the- yeah ruined Johnny Depp to- because he, yeah and we were talking about how Edward was possibly one of the better his better performances. Oh yeah, Edward! How can I forget? Mm. Uh, yeah, it, he's so good yeah, in that Or so, even as Lenny Todd, although that is a little bit more. That was also there. Part that was all. That, that was also there. I mean, it was more. It was more macabre and out there. But nah. sorry, guys, I guess this is the end of part one. Part two will be out next week, preferably on Friday, if not by Saturday morning latest. And trust me when I say this, you're really going to want to join us for that one. That was quite a mouthful. Anyway, I'm off. Take care. Have a good one.
1: So they opened their big mouths and out came talk. Talk.
0: Talk. Oh, wait. Unless you're listening to this back-to-back, then it's already out. Click on the next episode, I guess. See you.